0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem.
1: For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. The actual chapter we're going to be looking at is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is the, the retelling of the Ten Commandments. But as is our tradition for those that haven't been here before, uh, we do the time-honored Christian thing, which is we pray whenever we get together, which is a very good thing. And then we, um, I produce a piece of paper, which actually will go online eventually, which is a summary of last week's uh, study. So we have a little kind of, uh, at least a little bit of um, roundup from last, last week. And if anybody was there and they can disagree with me, then... Now was the time. Uh usually uh it is it is I'm, I'm usually pretty careful to keep a good record of what we end up talking about and what we say. So it's usually a pretty good record of our conversation. Alright, so um who would like to pray? Amen. How about yeah, where, where, where's, um, where's my little hero? Nev, are you around? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Excellent, you wanna lead us in prayer, brother?
0: Yes, I'll do that. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your word. And Father, we pray that wherever we are and whatever our circumstances, your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into the truth that you have for us. So Father, we bless you that you are above all and in control of all. And thank you, Lord, for your provision for this meeting and for
1: each other. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen.
1: Okay. So we are wrestling with the last words of Moses. This is his final oration. Uh, he has said that today is his birthday and he's 120 years old. And he's also the day he's going to die. And... Um, Somehow, at the start of his career, he says to God, I don't know how to talk. You really should choose some other hero. And God says, fine, go pick your brother Aaron. And yet this man who says he can't talk, this man who says he can't uh, uh, give great speeches, ends up challenging the king of the the physical world. And yet at the end of his career, gives the longest monologue in the entire Bible. So somehow he manages to speak. Uh, he, We call it Deuteronomos, the second, uh, the second law. And um, if, if, if it was simply a retelling of the first law, it would probably be a bit longer. But it's not. So what he does is he doesn't say everything and he actually changes a few things and he adds some stuff. Even though he himself... In, 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 at the, in the first four chapters says, please do not add or subtract from this law. Yet, he has done so. Um, which means, we probably don't understand what that uh, figure of speech means. And it's a very, Moses himself is a very smart man and he's uh, uh, saying some very interesting things to the people of Israel, most of whom have no recollection of uh, what transpired in Egypt other than oral stories. Uh, and yet they are about to embark on an invasion um, of a of a, new, of a new land. So all right um, I will read the, uh, the summation from last week which was Deuteronomy 4 verses 32 to 49. So it was the last sort of third portion. So oh we've got another one. Rosalind, Rosalind's joining? Well, there you go. Alright. So the, the scene is, uh, Moses is standing in on the plains of Moab. Um, they have divided up, up the east bank of the Holy Land. And the east bank is part of the Holy Land. It is apportioned to two and a half tribes. Levitical cities have been created. Um, This is a territory that is part of their inheritance, yet we often don't think about it as part of their inheritance. We mainly only think about the Holy Land being the land west of the Jordan. And even the Torah itself seems to talk about the west bank of the Jordan uh, as somehow more important than the east bank. Because we've already got the east bank, and yet it seems to be like a... We're not, we're not too concerned about, about this territory. We're, we're much more concerned about what's going to happen when we go onto the, the, the West Bank. And so Moses stands up and he's talking to this group of Israelites, most of whom are not circumcised. They're going to get circumcised in uh, Joshua 5.5, 5, which raises all kinds of questions, um, which we might have to deal with again in this chapter. So what sort of Bible do the Israelites have since they left Egypt? Well, obviously the answer is none. They don't have a Bible. Written texts are still in the formative stages. So we're still working out how you actually write material down. And what language are they writing in? Well, if they're going to be writing in anything, it's going to be in Paleo-Hebrew. Not the Persian script of modern Hebrew, which is what we're reading right now. Now, oddly enough, we don't have texts in Paleo-Hebrew. We have Um, portions, glimpses, um, small etchings on coins, on Ostra, uh, Ostraka, on on, uh, tombs and things. But we don't have... Hey Benjamin, how you doing? We don't have um, uh, whole texts in Paleo Hebrew. So we don't have the stuff that they brought out of Egypt. What we have is uh, modern Hebrew, which is a Persian script, so it's late. Uh, the biblical stories, that is, all the things that the children of Israel would have heard, um, would have known, would have gathered together, remained in the oral tradition. Uh, campfire stories, things that they told to each other. So in this, at the end of this chapter, Moses requests the Israelites to think back on the stories of creation, on the stories of the first men, and the miracles leading to the redemption of Uh, from Egypt. So he says, you know, think back on on creation. Think back on Adam and Eve. Think back on all the signs and wonders that you all saw when you came out of Egypt. And then he rhetorically, Moses challenges the people to ponder, has God ever done anything like this for any other people? Well, obviously, no. Uh, Even if they haven't got a written source, at least to have oral stories of what God has done in the world. The, the idea of a flood, the idea of uh, the Tower of Babel, the idea of a wandering nomad like Abraham, where God would speak to him, and uh, bringing his people out of Egypt. Has any other God ever dealt with uh, with their people in such a fashion? Okay, the number of people that are joining this uh, Zoom is uh, rapidly increasing. Can Everybody, hear me! Yes! Fantastic. Okay. In that case. Okay. Now we all get feedback from one hundred people. That's fantastic. Um, so we are we are going over last week's material. Okay, which is the end of chapter four. For those that don't know what chapter four is, one to three is uh, an essential retelling of the oral history of um, what what's been happening since they left Egypt. So particularly uh, various miracles, the discussion, the, the wiping out of Og and Sihon, these giants, uh, the recapturing of portions of their land, um, the settlements by Reuven and Gad and Manasseh onto the territory of the, east, of the east bank of the Jordan because it looked so great for cattle, and oddly enough, they had lots of cattle, uh, and then the settle, setting up of um, Levitical cities. In verse 32 of chapter four, uh, Moses notes that heaven has no borders; has borders. So that heaven itself is some sort of defined space that resembles something um, very close to what Earth. And in Jewish thought, Earth and Heaven are actually a lot closer than we know. Okay, Heaven and Earth are very close, and there's parts of Earth that have. Um, Not a weakness in the fabric in the middle, but there's there's parts of the earth where they're so close that people can move from one side. Mainly from heaven to earth. Like uh, the Temple Mountain would be one, where you have dream sequences. Um, uh, Mount Hermon is another, where the angels descend and, and do kinds of stuff like that. Okay, in verse 35... Moses reminds Israel that God has shown them His might and His power. Thus, they know that there's a God in heaven. So the evidence for God is actually seen in the world. right? God has shown His miracles, so now you know that there's a God. And this is mimicked by Paul in Romans. Where Paul in chapter 1 verse 20 says that through creation, they have seen that there is a God. So you can't sort of say, oh, no, there's, there's no God. Uh, uh, Paul is something saying a very old Jewish thought that uh, God is revealed by his actions. Now, this is the opposite of Gnosticism, where truth comes from the acquisition of knowledge, often coming from a hidden or mystical source. Whereas what Moses is saying, what Paul is reflecting, is that truth comes from something you see. Okay? So up until verse 35, there had been no clear monotheistic statement made in the biblical text. So Deuteronomy 4 verse 35 brings in the first clear monotheistic statement in the entire Bible. While Israel was to have Yahweh as her God, there appeared room to concede polytheism and the existence of deities for other peoples and other nations. Israel was commanded not to follow after those gods. Here now, standing before the people of Israel as they are about to cross the Jordan and and begin the conquest of Canaan, Moses declares that in reality, there are no other gods. They simply do not exist. Yet, this truth falls on deaf ears. God reminds the people that He personally brought them forth from Egypt, and that He personally left Egypt with them. And that he personally fought against their enemies and once again that he personally has given the land as an inheritance and that that uh, adjective is the thing that you describe the Holy Land it is an inheritance how do you get an inheritance you you do not you don't earn it you get it because you're part of the family correct. Amen. That's it. And so that's so constantly so God says to his people, you're my inheritance. And then he, and he says and the land is your inheritance. Now, because of these great things, the people of Israel are to place their belief in God as the only God in heaven firmly within their hearts. This is actually a very common theme that you're going to find in Deuteronomy. God is, uh, Moses is going to take the Torah, the first four books, and he's going to reflect on it and constantly drive it home into the hearts of the people. Thus, if there really is a God, which they've all seen, and if he has revealed his existence, which he has by his actions and, in, and miracles, then the only appropriate behavioural response is obedience. obedience. Hence, Moses urges the people to obey God's commandments. This time, adding a blessing for obedience, that is, long life in the land. Then, there is a slight digression in the narrative where we appoint several cities of refuge in the east side of the Jordan. Jordan, this territory has been apportioned to Reuven, Gad and Manasseh. And is also part of the inheritance of Israel. Although the majority of us tend to focus only on the west side of the Jordan, these Levitical cities would protect the unintentional manslayer from the kinsman, redeemer, and the avenger of blood. How this actually happens in practice, uh, we are not sure. But obviously, Levites are also a portion territory on the east side of the Jordan. So you end up with uh, two and a half tribes, but you also end up with portions of the tribe of, uh, of Levite. Uh, in, in, on the east side of the Jordan having settled the establishment of refugee cities Moses then presents a short historical summary to date highlighting again the defeat of the giant kings Og and Sihon I mean this is, must be the fifth or sixth time that he has said look we got these giants and we wiped them out uh, the laws, statutes and judgments are collectively known as the law of Moses so the law of Moses, the Torah, Moshe, is defined as often the Chokim and the Mishpatim. Why there is a di- uh, those two words? It's not explained. But anything that's in the Bible has to be there for a reason, yes? I'm going to go with yes. a yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, excellent. Thank you, Lila. You don't have anything superfluous in the Bible. So if the law of Moses is... Is, has, has two major components, the, the Chokim and the Mishpatim. What is the difference between the two? Guess what? We're not told. Okay? But from inference, Mishpatim comes from the verb Lishfad, which means to judge. So the judgments would imply some sort of moral bearing. That is, thou shalt not murder. That's a moral judgment. Why? Because the guy you're killing, he doesn't feel so good about being killed. Yes, but the Chokim, these might be laws, but we don't have an understanding of why they're there. But they're there. For example, don't uh, wear a garment made of linen and wool together. What possible reason why? There's no explanation in the text. We can't seem to find a moral reason for it. Like it doesn't seem to. Like if I wear a garment of linen and wool, this doesn't make my wife hate me, and it certainly doesn't make people drop dead when I meet them. But, um, but there's some reason for it, and so you end up with these laws which which have no understanding. So there are things in the Torah that we automatically don't know. There's things that we have a, a an understanding of why they're there. They seem pretty obvious. Don't steal. Why not? Because I don't want people to steal my stuff. Uh, You can see a a morality there. But but there are some laws that don't seem to have any reason. Yet, they are laws. And so, those are grouped in the Chokim. And the stuff we understand, that's grouped up in the Mishpatim. Now, despite... Yes, sir. There's
2: a difference between Chokim and Torah are instructions where there is no defined or even given punishment. The, the whole king, law,
1: each one of them are going to have a punishment if you violate them. Well, some do. Yes, yes, right. Some are very obvious punishments and and some of the judgments. The Mishpah team also have punishments. So, if you kill somebody, what's the punishment, Roddy? Hmm.
2: Uh, it's going to be death on their most. That's
1: right. Yeah. I fry tooth for tooth. But there are some where, where it's actually more monetary. You know, I, I break your cow after borrowing it. What do I have to do? I have to pay you back and, and, and sometimes fall soap. Right. soap. Um, but yes, they have, there's, some have rewards and some have punishments assigned to them. But the, but the, <laughs> the whole thing, the, the thing called Torah, is instruction. And if you go down the uh, the idea that Torah comes from heaven, right, because you know God's obviously giving it, so it's coming down from heaven, anything in heaven must be my definition, good. So therefore the Torah must be ha- correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and of course that's what you see Paul saying in particularly in Romans, where he says, No, look, the Torah is holy, just and good. It has to, because it comes from heaven. It can't be Uh, evil and and harsh, and and, and it just means there's just things in it we don't understand, and that's okay. Now, despite all and sundry acknowledging that the God of heaven as being the source of Torah, we still call it the law of Moses. Why do we do this? Don't know. But even Jesus uses this nomenclature, okay? Yes. Alright, so even even Jesus Himself says you know in the law of Moses, even though He Himself knows, it comes from His Father in heaven. right? Yet, even though it's called Torah Moshe, the law of Moses, the psalmist, when he writes his psalms, which are prayers, which comes from our heart, he says, Oh, how I love your law, your law, okay? He acknowledges that even if this thing is called... Moshe, the law of Moses ultimately it comes from God himself okay so that was uh, that was our summary from last week okay we are now on to chapter five so <clears throat> because we haven't done this before normally what we would do is we would sit around the table and we would um, read uh, the whole chapter what I'll do instead is I'll just read the first couple of verses and then we'll talk about it. Is that okay Yes. Excellent. Okay. So, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws that I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord your God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and you did not go up to the mountain. And he said, and then we begin the Ten Commandments. But we'll discuss the first bit there. So out of those first that first phrase, Moses summons all the people. Is there anything there that uh, jumps out?
2: We, we have, have to always to listen.
1: listen. Uh, okay, who goes first? Well, what did you say, Yovan? What did you say, Lila?
0: I say that uh, it's always say, listen.
1: This yes. mean means
0: for me, I have yeah. to listen what God say and what... People saying, for example, you, pastor,
1: and it uh, always has to pay attention, listen. Yeah, the word shma is a powerful loaded word, isn't it, in Hebrew? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of hear and obey in, in, yes. in yes. Deuteronomy. It's constantly saying, hey, listen, Israel. And uh, here he does it too. He summons everybody and he says, he says, listen. He says, Moses summons all Israel. How many people yeah. would that be? The North Dakotans are counting on their hands and fingers, okay? So, yeah. It's
0: 600,000 men, so up to 2 million total.
1: Yes, so when he summons all 2 million people, how do you physically do that? With Zoom selected representatives. (laughs) Yes. With
0: microphone.
1: With a microphone, that's right. So, Moses got (laughs) his Zoom out, and then he had a pro account that could handle all these people. The internet was strong and stable because no one else was using it. It was a Sabbath. And, lo and behold, we managed to do it. Okay? So, we we, we begin to learn something that uh, in the Bible, we have these things called figures of speech. And... All Israel suddenly does not mean all. <laughs> okay, so, but what happens is we, we te- sometimes forget that. And we, we, we read portions of the New Testament where we come up with the word all. And we go, oh my gosh, all 100%. Don't you understand? You know, think. hang on a second. Think in Jewish, all doesn't in- inherently mean all. It can mean a majority. It can mean, mean a large portion. It can mean, a, you know, something like that. And so, all Israel will be saved. Well, that's Perhaps. I think
0: uh, uh, it wouldn't be fair to say that all Israel was represented correct. by their heads of families
1: and that kind of thing. Correct. So, all Israel is represented. So, all represented Israel also can get saved. Um, especially when you come up with verses like believing in me is going to you know split families in two, and we're going to have mothers against their daughters and fathers against their sons and etc. But yes, somehow Moses gathers the people, whether he does it with representatives, and then they go out and explain further on. not sure, but the, but the, the, the text is referring that um, the representation of all of the community is present. And we start speaking here, O Israel, the, the word Shema, again, um, also in Hebrew means means obey. Here are the decrees and the laws, again, the Chokim and the Mishpatim, okay? That I am declaring in your hearing, learn them and be sure to follow them, okay? Has Moses done this before? Yes. Okay, so he's done this before, so he's, he's come down from Mount Sinai and he's said these are the Ten Commandments, these are the Chokim, and these are the Mishpatim, and so, what is he doing here? I mean, surely, uh, they've already heard all this stuff, have they not?
0: Yes.
1: Probably. Okay, think about it. 38 years ago or 40 years ago, we came down from the mountain. Ah,
0: because right now, it's his, their children. They have to listen
2: again. Okay. at that time when they were little, now they're big.
1: Okay. Uh, yes, the little people are now big. But what have we had in the midst of this community for 40 years?
0: I'm what have we had? Science.
1: We have had a big tent. Yes? Yes. So remember, in the book of Exodus, God spends about six chapters getting his people out of Egypt. And then he spends about uh, 15 chapters on how to build a tent. They're pretty important about how you build this tent. And then we've got several books on what you do inside this tent, and who can be inside this tent, when they can be inside this tent, and what do you do when you bring something inside this tent. So what have we got for thirty-eight years? We've been wandering in the wilderness. We've got priests. We've got Levites. We've got Aaron and his sons. What are they teaching the people? Don't be bragging there, Aaron. I think it was a different Aaron they were talking about. <laughs> no, no. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm really good for my age. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're looking yeah. good, man. Yeah, yeah. I, it's the it's the green tea. Okay. okay. <laughs> So what do you what do you think what 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 have the the children of Israel been receiving from Aaron and his priests particularly if you go down the more traditional line which would say that they already have a book now called the Torah I
0: think there's always
1: a... Who's up? Someone jump in. Uh, I think there's always a possibility that the
0: people who have been born since uh, the uh, giving of the law at at Mount Horeb have had a sort of piecemeal um, understanding of the Torah. I mean, you know, it's kind of slightly lost in transmission. (laughs) Um, And so there's nothing quite like getting it from the horse's mouth. Sorry to refer to Moses as a horse, but... um, He's able to be clear and definitive and authoritative, which you you know the the way that some people received it through the the stories and the um, transmissions from the uh, miscellaneous priests might have been incomplete or not quite on on the button.
1: Right. So somewhere along the line, this collection of priests headed up by Aaron. Uh, have not been able to transmit the material that they've received from Sinai to the people adequately. We're not exactly, we don't know why not. We don't know how many people came to the tabernacle. We don't know what the Levites were doing in, in their community. But somewhere along the line, they haven't circumcised. We don't know if they were um uh, keeping Shabbat we don't know uh, if they were offering sacrifices we're not, not not sure what what's going on but but to the point where he gathers all the people as they're about to go and invade and he says you know I'd better um I better make this clear because I'm not kind of happy with the way we've been doing it for the last thirty eight years and um, and uh, and 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 so you, you get uh This retelling. So he says, "I'm going to declare in your hearing the things you actually should already know. You know, we should have already been teaching you this stuff, but uh, but but it hasn't happened. And so, how do you learn? Okay, how do you obey? You obey by learning. Does you know? Hear what I'm going to say, learn, and then obey." Okay, obedience comes from learning, thus I, its he's already mentioned it several times in the last four chapters, make sure you teach these to your children, even though Moses himself fails in that task as well, okay, uh, and that's actually something you see even in the modern Christian world, is it not? Um, what's the, uh, the phrase we always say? Pique, pastor's kids, right? Uh, are the children of pastors always well behaved and uh, model model believers? No. <laughs> oh no! John the priest is now panicking. Okay. Yes. Um, but but you can see it. You can see what happened to Moses, right? And and uh, and 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 his kids don't even get a mention. And unfortunately, some of the kids of Aaron, half the children of Aaron, don't even make it uh, out of the desert. So verse two. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. So God cuts a covenant, and we don't <laughs> call the place Sinai. The actual name of the mountain that's used the most is Horeb, uh, which is a very interesting name um, for a mountain. What does it mean, Yuval? You know the... the, the... Uh, Horeb
0: comes from the word something is dry.
1: Yes. It's also... Harav is, a, is a, some sort of blade. It's dry. Destroyed, yeah, Chorban, you know, so you got ruin, destruction, sword, uh, dry, you know, everything negative, and yet that's the name of the mountain that God decides to come down and give his Torah on.
0: Although, although the people of Israel, when they crossed um, the Red Sea, they walked on Chorban.
1: On dry land. And yeah, so in that case it was, so in that case it's positive. <laughs> yeah. I hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so and then then Moses says something very interesting to the people. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. Uh, any thoughts about that verse? Not true. Correct. <laughs> it's it's rhetorical. I mean, obviously the Lord did make a covenant with their, their forefathers. That is true. In fact, you, we will say that again and again and again, particularly on Shabbat, that uh, this is the Torah that God has made with our forefathers, and he has loved the Avot. He, he has loved the patriarchs. But here, uh, Moses is doing something very rhetorical. So he's not saying something that's literally true. Um, what, he, what is he doing? He's inviting the people to become part of the story. Yeah, it's a very good rhetorical device, uh, which you see God Himself doing at Passover. Right? What is one of the commandments that God gives uh, uh, the people of Israel when they're in, in Egypt? Oh, sorry, when they're in the desert in Exodus? He says, When your son asks you, hey, why do I do this for Passover? What does the Father have to say? I do this because of what the Lord did for me when he took me out of Egypt. Yes. Right? So you see that that Moses is doing a rhetorical device here. He's inviting the people who were not at Mount Sinai to become as though they were at Mount Sinai. The covenant applies to them too. Right? That they didn't hear the voice of God, but they actually did. They, they didn't see the fire and the smoke, but they actually did. You're part of the narrative. You're part of the story. And that is exactly the same theology you see in the Christian world. Well, it should. Okay? That, um, you know, people say, the blood of Jesus died for me. Well, I wasn't even born when Jesus was doing this. But the answer is yes. I'm invited into the story in a, in a, in a very uh, Hebraic way. Of thinking okay so we get to share in the experience uh, even though we weren't there uh, Moses continues verse 4 the Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain well again rhetorical not true because previously in chapter 4 he says you didn't see anything Right. Moses. Spoke, the, the, the voice you heard came from a fiery mountain. It spoke to you through fire. You didn't actually see anything physical, even though Exodus says that they did. So here, so when you see uh, texts like Moses saw God face to face. The children of Israel spoke to God face to face. It doesn't actually literally mean face to face. It's a, again, uh, a figure of speech. Uh, a way you, you describe an intimate conversation. So God has an intimate conversation with you face-to-face, even though literally it's not penim, uh, okay? it's, uh, it's, you hear his voice. Um, however, remember, when the children of Israel heard God's voice, what was the reaction? They're afraid. They're afraid. Yeah, and there and there and it ends up being this um, Talmudic discussion on how many of the actual commandments did they hear before they said to Moses, "Okay, that's enough." Uh, Yuval, okay. do you do you know the rabbinic tradition at all? No, my guess is one. <laughs> yeah, that that's yeah. The answer is um. Well, God said Anochi before he could say Adonai, and that was it. Everybody was done. <laughs> They're on the ground. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's discussions of, was it one, was it two, was it just this one sentence, uh, one word? Um, the, even though the people of Israel can't hear the voice of God, there are heroes who can. And, uh, and you end up with these very long uh, rabbinic midrashim that discuss, who are the heroes of God that I can actually hear His voice and still stand upright? You know some of their names, right? Who are some of the names of people who hear God's voice and stand upright? Shmuel. Shmuel. How about Adam? Right. Eve? Women can do it too. Yeah, Noah how can about, do it.
2: How about little Samuel? The young
1: yeah, Samuel. Your little young Samuel. Yeah, a boy can hear God's voice and his response is, Here I am. Your servant is listening. Keep speaking. As opposed to an entire nation, he one sentence. Anochi Hashem, just, and then they're on their on their on their ground, saying, "Okay, we can't handle anymore." Uh, Abraham can do it. Isaac can do it. Um, you know, Jacob can do it. You know, so there's actually a few heroes of God that I can actually hear God's voice and actually maintain a conversation. Notice in the Bible, in the first books. Uh, the, in, the, in the pages of Torah, you don't pray to God. What do you do? You just talk to him. you Right? Which is, Moses does pray in Exodus, uh, but it's a very short prayer. And it's, and, um, it's like only a few sentences. Um, whereas uh, most of the recorded conversations we have in Torah are, are just direct, personal con- conversations. Uh, if if we took a little survey here, who here, in their talking or praying to God, talks to Him in that fashion? Most of us, if we're honest, probably say we don't do that very much. Right? I'm not saying that that's the way we should do it. Let's all be like Abraham and just chat, you know. Um, but it is interesting that the heroes of God. When they hear his voice, they talk to him just normal. That's not to say don't pray, don't don't say that, don't ever ever say I'm saying telling people not to pray. But it is an interesting thing to note that uh, the heroes of God talk to him like he's normal. Shows familiarity. Shows familiarity, yeah, familiarity, uh, which is very nice. Okay, so then and then Moses. Uh, because he also knows that these people fell on their faces and they couldn't handle the word of God, adds uh, a sentence. And it could be, um, that this is actually a later insertion, Uh, at that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and you did not go up the mountain. Alright, so what does verse 5 introduce? It introduces a mediator introduces the idea that there's a person between you and God who is the hero who is the person who can handle the voice of the Lord and then transmit that material to you. Um, Later in the second temple period we get this idea that, um, that Not only is a human the intermediary between man and God, but another person starts to show up who actually transmits the voice of the Lord to you. And who would that be? Any ideas? Who do you see in the Bible that actually starts to show up to heroes and talk instead of God? Angel of God. Angels. Correct, Slider. Yes. And you you it, so at the beginning of the Bible, God talks to men just like they're normal. Okay? Until the point where they all start falling down and we can't handle it anymore. Okay, better figure out somebody else to talk to them. In the in exile, once we've been once the temple has been destroyed and we've been taken away into Babylon, you begin to get more and more angelic visitors actually do the mediating. So when Daniel needs to hear from God, does God talk to him direct? No, he sends angel. Angel. Right? He does get his little vision experience and he gets those glimpses into heaven, yes he does, but you end up with these angelic characters showing up and actually doing all the talking. So when you get to the New Testament, who shows up to Mary? Angels. You, you don't get the voice of you don't get the voice of God, just like you got into Abraham, saying Abraham, go out and do this. Mary, go out and do this. You end up with this angelic idea, these this, these mediator ideas, and you see that in Second Temple period Jewish literature uh, when. Um, Uh, When you you read books like Jubilees or Enoch or things like that, you'll you'll see all these angels running around constantly interfering in the planet as mediators. Uh, For example, in Jubilees, who teaches the magicians of Egypt to do miracles? It ends up being these these evil fallen angels. Um, When Moses actually talks to God, it's not God who actually is talking. It's an angel. And... um, You actually have this reflected. You actually have this reflected in um, in Galatians, where Paul says the Torah was mediated to us via (coughs) angels. But that is not what you get in the text. The text says it was God. But by the Second Temple period, uh, people have taken this idea of a mediator. Which is what you've got here with Moses, and turned it into an angelic character. Okay. Just so a
0: quick question on the side of that. So, who is the first person to encounter an angel? Is it Joshua when he's spoken to by the
1: that angel as he just comes to Jericho? In term, in terms of, um, in terms of someone, an angel actually talking to someone. I think you're right. You have these angelic things happening in Genesis, but they don't yes, communicate. Or we don't see. I think hey, Kaylee, how you doing?
0: Good. I'm um, before before I, Joshua,
2: There's Haggai also, with the angel. Yeah.
1: Yes. So that's before. That's true. Or is that or is that is that Is it? I
0: think.
1: No, um, David. Is it? Who is it? Is this an angel of the Lord?
0: Now, first of all, Aaron, isn't it significant that the first person that the, an angel speaks to is a woman?
1: That actually is very significant. And
0: without, without making i I'm not making a joke, right? No, nope, That's end, true. End of Exodus, Aaron. Do you remember the angel uh, that God said He would send in Exodus, the angel of the presence to go with the people?
1: Right. Yeah. Yes, because he's re- in Deuteronomy chapter four. God says it was His presence, the Melech HaPanim, who went with them in the Exodus. So there's an angelic presence uh, guiding them out of Egypt, uh, leading to the the tradition that God Himself comes out of Egypt. Right. All right. Yep. Yeah, but yes, angels talk to females, um, uh, uh, and and and. Uh, and they also, uh, later on, become the intermediary, uh, which we what we see a lot of that reflected in the New Testament. Oh my gosh, everyone's joining now. Okay. All right. So, now we go. Aaron, Aaron, the angel in Exodus.
0: And this is great to do it with Zoom, because then you can, you can check without looking disrespectful to the teacher. <laughs> that's, in, that's in Isaiah 63, 9. God will save his people in trouble. Isaiah? 63.9 That's a very
1: significant verse, meaning that people take from that, that God suffers with his people. In his distress, he too was distressed. Yes. That's right. And the angel of his presence saved them. That's right. So in Exodus, you get the angel of the presence taking them out or accompanying them. In Deuteronomy, Moses reinforces it in chapter four by saying that the melechapanim was 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 taking them out. and uh, and there's all those hints in Exodus, where is actually God? Uh, when, Mo- when he talks to Moses, he says Bo He says, "Come to Pharaoh." He doesn't say Lech leparo. Go to Pharaoh, implying that uh, where's God? God is with Pharaoh. God is in Egypt while he's punishing, while Pharaoh's punishing the people. God is is as Isaiah is saying. He's in distress input, with distress. his with his people. All right. So now we get to the retelling of the Ten Commandments. So we've got this, uh, we've had the Ten Commandments from Exodus, we've got the Mishkan, we've got the priests, exactly what they've been telling the people, we're not sure. But now Moses has the opportunity uh, to redeclare the, the Ten Commandments. And they're almost identical to what you see in Exodus 20, except for one bit. And I think most of you know which one it is. So God says, I, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, uh, out of the land of slavery. Um, it's debated. People sometimes debate in the Protestant world and the Catholic world as to which is a commandment, which is not a commandment. Um, this first statement is kind of the business card of God. Right? What do the children of Israel know about God when they're in Egypt? Not a lot. Okay. Um, so it's in the action of saving them, it's in the action of redeeming them that God brings them out and he introduces himself and says, guess who I am? This, this person whom you don't know very well, this person who has not communicated to you for 430 years, that we have recorded, uh, I am the person who is taking you out of Egypt. Uh, this is this is this is me. This is my identity marker, and so God identifies Himself in His actions, and uh, we get the command: "You shall have no other gods before Me," which until Deuteronomy four thirty five could imply that there might have been other gods, but Deuteronomy has has done a clear a clear statement of monotheism. But and so there are no other gods uh, that will be in front of our God. Uh, You will not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. So God has emotions. Uh, Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations for those who hate me. which is an interesting concept. But showing love to a thousand generations. So an abundance of love more than punishment. Uh, for those who love me and keep my commandments." Um, This this interpretation of this verse as to whether what constitutes an image oscillates through both the Jewish world and uh, the Christian world. Uh, We go through periods of time where we become quite iconoclastic and we don't like the idea of any form of an image. Um, And then we have other time periods where both the Jewish and Christian worlds embrace uh, uh, art in, in, uh, as a form of worship, uh, as a form of beautification, particularly of holy things. Um, even though we have this command in Exodus, do not make an image for yourself in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters, what decorates the tabernacle? Yes, we have images. <laughs> uh, you end up with this, you know, sort of dis- very big description of. Make sure that on the curtains you you draw pictures of angels. Well, hang on a second. Those are images in heaven. Even the high priest has images on him, and the ark itself has images of of angelic figures resting on it. So it has it has it has helped the debate oscillate from one to the other. So sometimes you'll be in in a world where the debate is swings where we're all not going to have images and other times we'll be quite happy to have images and we oddly enough find in and around the sort of third, fourth, fifth and sixth centuries up in the Galilee where a lot of Jewish people were living, ancient synagogues there are full of art and uh, which which you can go to them they're fantastic to see you go to these very devout synagogues which we know were um were centers of high learning uh and uh and um and and very religious people and yet you'll see images on the floor of the akidah of zodiacs of uh images of abraham and isaac of um, all uh, all kinds of things And and you think what is that doing there uh, they're in their interpretation of uh, what's an image and what is not an image uh, right now. Okay. Okay. Isn't that you know, yep Wouldn't the question be, "You shall not make idols"? Is that a commandment, or you shall not make idols to worship them? Correct. That That's right. It's a you put the punctuation which doesn't exist in nature. That's correct. Yes, you don't don't make yourself an image. Why? Because you're the image, right? I've already made the image, right? You're, you're made in the image of God, so don't try and make yourself another image. But there is. There's no punctuation in Hebrew, so the whole thing flows. So whatever it is that you make, you don't bow down to it. Uh, and uh, and so you end up with that, that that level of interpretation as to where you put your punctuation. Um, I'm going to admit that when I, as a good little Protestant, when I first came to Israel, I oscillated more towards the iconoclastic idea. And yeah, this sort of idea of images weren't so crash hot. Um, but since my time here, um, I'm, uh, I've, I've, I've uh, learned to appreciate very much um, uh, the way uh, icons and uh, things and the, the way you can worship God with your eyes. And uh, I, the, the stories that are encapsulated in the Bible and the way some of the heroes of, uh, of faith have made uh, an, an, an icon or a picture that uh, somehow manages to speak a thousand words again and again and again. Um, so that's something I've learned uh, in my little time here in Israel. Um, uh, so I've oscillated. I've moved um, from one position to another. All right. Then uh, the 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 other commandment that concerns the Lord before it begins coming to us uh, is not misusing the name of the Lord. And all of these are very similar, uh, actually, to what you see in Exodus. In fact, they're almost verbatim. But then there's a change, and the change is in the in the um, commandment for Shabbat. So. You obviously get a different word. You get to observe the the commandment, to in, the, observe the Sabbath instead of remember. And the reason no, for it. Can
0: I the... just jump in and can I just go back to the taking the name of the yes. Lord in vain? Yes. Yes. Uh, um, I heard an interesting uh, comment by um, Dennis Prager, who you may or may not know of. Yep. Um, who makes a big thing about a a more helpful understanding in his eyes of this commandment. He says that actually you could render that Hebrew as you shall not carry the name of the Lord in vain, or you should not bear it. In other words, particularly those things that God finds so profoundly objectionable are people who are effectively specialists or leaders or religious leaders, those people who who are in a religious office of leadership who then do the wrong thing. In other words, they In their office, in their whole life, they're carrying the name of the Lord for everybody to see, and then when they do wrong, it will be it's absolutely appalling. Right. Cool. And we have sex scandals in the um, uh, the Protestant church, in the Catholic yep. church, all, all over. You know. um, yep. but, so it's, but it comes from the idea of rendering, not take, but to carry. You shall not carry the name of the Lord in vain. Now, I'm, I don't know. I'm not a judge of this, but I thought it was that was quite interesting. But those who, who you know um, Hebrew a bit more, could you comment on it? Yeah, Aaron. Yes. Um, so it, it could the, the same word here for to use the name means also to carry something.
1: Is it is it lachet? Is it lachet? Yeah. Lachet. Yeah. Um, okay. I.
0: And clear can't see how it can't mean both.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, well, that would be the classic Hebrew. What does it mean, A or B? It means both. And yes. Well, yes. Why yes. Take it <laughs> if you're not going to carry it. Why, why take it if you're not going to carry
2: it? What's the point of taking
0: it if you're not to carry it? It's, uh... yeah. Well, t- taking it is then understood in just speaking God's name in an empty fashion, whereas carrying it is that. It's part of your person that the name right. of the Lord is attached to you as a person, and
1: then you behave in such a way as to dishonor it. Yeah, right. I, I see it as identical. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a bit of both going there. And, and for me, just in this conversation, I'm thinking, um, when, whenever I think of the word carry, I immediately think of the yoke. The yoke of the kingdom yeah, of heaven. Yes. That uh, somewhere along the line, um, the 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 interpretation of these verses is yes, we do carry the name of God on us. We carry His yoke, uh, and and we and take our yoke upon us too. We, we take, take upon our God. yoke upon us through the yeah. you know through um, uh, declaring loyalty, whether that's through the Shema or, or in our hearts or a bit of both. Um, yeah. And then, of course, always that verse in Matthew. You know, take upon yourself my yoke, because actually, carrying my name is a lot easier than you think, uh, and it's a lot more. Um, the, the, is
2: everybody getting some sort of a big bonking noise here. Yes, it's yes. from. It's perhaps, well, maybe if you're not talking, mute your microphone or something. Because, and I think I think it's coming from Rosalind. Yeah, I hear this. Bong, right. bong, bong, bong,
1: bong, bong, bong. Okay. Do I know how to uh, do? Can you, en- yeah. Can I- you mute
0: Rosalind?
1: I can Maybe. actually. I go mute. You can yep. mute everybody. Yep. That's right. You're all just going to listen to me now. Ha 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 No, I really you like. I Yeah, power. I, like it. Have I power have the power. Yeah. No, I, I I like conversation. I, I yeah. I'm, I'm like that uh, idea of carrying the name of God. Um, remind me to put that in my notes, Neville. Well, <laughs> for the. Sure. Yeah.
2: And then, and then one other suggestion: if you remember that you're probably muted, and if you try to talk, then nobody can hear you. But we see a lot of this, you know, with your mouth. So make sure you unmute. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, iPhone's come back in. Whoever iPhone is. Okay. Yeah.
0: Sorry, Roge. Do you not read lips?
1: <laughs> i'm sorry what do you do not, you read, not lips?
2: read lips <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i always put in the worst words possible if i'm reading I I yeah
1: that's right yeah lose friends quickly okay
0: it's
1: not right you just cut it off all right um so getting to the uh the commandment that actually <laughs> changes uh, in the way, now remember, Moses is, in his retelling of the Torah, he has been not including material, he has been slightly changing the nuance of material, and he has been adding material uh, up until this point. Now, he even does it with the Ten Commandments, and um, and which is going to can lead some people to actually question the, the integrity of the entire text. I don't think that's a justifiable argument, um, but the text does, does change. In Exodus and in Deuteronomy we have a different commandment concerning the Sabbath. In Exodus we have to remember, here we have to observe. And uh, we have to observe the Sabbath day how, or guard it, guard the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. And he has done so in other sections of the text. There are some parts of Leviticus where we don't get a full rendition of the, of the Ten Commandments. We get little hints. And there are several times in Exodus where God says, um, uh, even to the point where, uh, observe the Sabbath or I'll kill you. I mean, you don't get that in the Ten Commandments, but you do in, I think it's Exodus 35, or somewhere towards the end of that. But here, observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded. Six days you shall labor and do your work, uh, which is similar to what you see in Exodus. Uh, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, nor your daughter donkey, or your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns. Um, How you get Shabbos out of that, I've got no idea, but um, certainly play that every Shabbat. Uh, So your male and female servants may rest as you do. And then you get a change. Instead of the um, idea um, that in Exodus, which is observe the Sabbath because of creation, because God made the world in creation. Here, you get uh, the reason for the Sabbath. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So the reason for the Sabbath is different. The reason for the Sabbath is redemption. uh, And and so the Sabbath itself takes on a redeeming quality. um, But it also... uh, uh, has a in Exodus has an element of, of creation. All right, why do you think there's a difference? Why do you think Moses would be doing this? Because our skeptics, you know, those people who will come and attack our faith, will say, See, your Bible lies. One time you end up with God saying this. But then in another book, it's got God saying something completely different. Can't you see this whole thing is just fake? And uh, that is one of our little skeptical uh, challenges. Now, you and I don't believe that. But what will be our answer, guys? What will we what will we return a reply? I have something to say, if I can break in. Go for it, mate. So, yeah,
2: you have a progression starting from the beginning of instructions. Many times, from the beginning, God is speaking. He gives instructions. And if God, and if we believe Yeshua was there in the beginning, probably the one doing the speaking, if he says something is holy, such as on the seventh day, there was no command to do something or not to do something. He simply said, I set this day apart, and I make it holy. Well, it seemed that that worked good for a certain amount of time. But then if human beings don't listen to instructions, then you have to increase the severity of it. We're living in those days today. Um, Every day for the past week, I keep hearing, well, this is what we're asking you to do. Don't go outside the house unless you have to do this. Well, now these things are becoming mandatory. So there is a punishment if you do them, and so for me, I see this all
1: the way through the Bible. Okay, so you see that God um, uh, reveals something of His character and, and some sort of you know good thing or blessing or, or calling something sacred or holy. Uh, it's not treated as such, and so then God ups ups the ante. Is that what, that's the kind of way you're you're saying it, Roddy?
2: Yeah.
1: I yep. think so pretty clear. Yeah, well, yeah. It you know, he, he, he definitely has that, that quality to it, too. You know, with God saying, you know, if you light a fire on the Sabbath or pick up sticks or whatever, you've got a, certainly got a precedental uh, law that appears in the text.
2: Well, I mean, it wasn't there on day seven. He simply said, this day is holy.
1: Yep. And it seemed like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and these guys, they were, uh, they were paying attention to these things. <laughs> yeah. And then
2: all of a sudden, no one's paying attention to it, so hey, I'm gonna give you some specific laws on what to do for it so you're not confused
0: anymore. And if you violate those laws, there'll be an actual punishment.
1: Sure. The um the right. Yeah. The 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 Sabbath is mentioned in Exodus and in, in Genesis chapter one and it's not mentioned again until the Exodus of Egypt. Until like chapter twelve. Two? One, two, and three. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so it doesn't actually say that Abraham or Noah or any of those other guys, or even Adam, actually kept Shabbat. Um, you could actually, it
2: actually does because it says that Abraham kept uh Hulking,
1: That's right. Torah. Yeah. The between it, and, and, and he does it in plural. Uh, yeah, that's Genesis Ge- Genesis twenty six verse five. You know, he got uh, Abraham has managed to keep. And he calls it the Torah. He managed to keep the Torahs in plural, which can... Well, if you read it in the Hebrew, though, it's going to separate all four of them. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it lists, lists, lists it all four. Things. Yeah, Chokim, Mitzvot, Mishpatim, and Torot. It lists, lists, yeah. lists all four. Um, and this is
2: a, for me, it's a key thing for foundation of all these things we're talking about. If we don't, set, if we don't understand the difference between these things then we, our, our presumption in the beginning, it leaves us further away from the mark. Sure. That's just the way
1: I see it. Yeah. You've, got a, you've got a definite move from Exodus to Deuteronomy. What is Moses trying to tell the people of Israel? What have they most likely not been doing in the desert?
2: Instructions.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Not following the instructions. Yeah, somewhere along the line, the 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 stuff that came down from from Mount Sinai hasn't been internalized, right? They haven't internalized it. They haven't remembered. They haven't put it into their hearts. Which you don't get the heart bit in in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. I mean, although Leviticus is absolutely a beautiful book, um, and so Moses is now once you get to Deuteronomy, he's constantly saying, make sure you write these laws. On your heart, because if you try and put them anywhere else, you're certainly not going to remember them. And I don't want—I don't want you just to remember the Sabbath and how and and remember creation. Although he does want you to do that too, he's not saying that that is is negated, but he's saying now, come on, observe it. Actually, put it into practice. Actually, linking it to redemption, and uh, and bringing an incredible blessing that there is with. Um, uh, with the Sabbath. So the Sabbath takes on a redemptive Passover, like, like a little Passover. And so uh, by the time you get to the book of Hebrews, you know the Sabbath has, be, has become, or well, the, 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 the second temple period, the Sabbath has, be, has, has become something you expect in the millennium, something that you expect in Ulam Haba, something that you expect as part of the Messianic Kingdom There's going to be a Sabbath like no other that actually doesn't end. And, uh, and, and so um, Hebrews says, there's, there's going to be for us, uh, as followers of the Messiah, this special Sabbath that waits. Um, uh, but here, here, Moses, he is uh, re-giving a, an interpretation on the first uh, messages that he heard from God. That doesn't negate the first one. There has been some articles when you when you go into into commentaries and you start looking at um, Exodus and Leviticus, uh, sorry Exodus and Deuteronomy commentaries, they'll they'll even come to this idea that perhaps there were two oral traditions about what God said, because we didn't physically um, because we didn't physically have a text written in Paleo Hebrew um, or or pre-Canaanite or Old Egyptian about what God said when he came down from uh, Mount Sinai. Um, uh, and so here we have uh, uh, that there might have been two oral traditions of the story. Did God say this or did he say that? And then they put them both together. Um, I not personally don't, don't go with that idea, although it can be argued that way and you will find it in some commentaries. I, I go down the idea that... Um, that uh, Moses has got his people; they're about to enter into the Promised Land, uh, and he's trying to make the law, uh, by trying to internalise the Torah, make the Torah part of their their uh, of who they are as humans, and and, uh, and, and internalise it onto their heart.
0: Can I, can I just say, Aaron? Perhaps one way of looking at it is that the exodus way of presenting it was just a little bit too subtle. I mean, wanting people to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy could be and emulate God because He rested on the seventh day. Yeah, this idea of emulating God out of respect of who He is was just a little bit too subtle. Yep. And, um, and so He's just having to spell it out in a rather more punchy way.
1: Yes, as Roddy would say, He's you know getting a little bit more forceful. Okay? That that remember thing you didn't quite do it, so now you actually got to physically, physically, physically do it. Um, And so uh, then the next commandment comes with a a blessing. Um, But the only one of this the commands here that comes with blessings, although they all come with blessings, the uh, honor your mother and father, or father and mother, uh, as the Lord your God has commanded, so that you live long um and uh and that it may go well with you in the land right that the Lord your God is giving you and so this long life which has been previously stated before is somehow internally linked to the to the land right you I
0: have a question here this is what the most obvious thing is that the you know, second person is it plural or singular you so are we talking about Individual's length of life, or are you talking about the longevity of the people in the land?
1: Yeah. Okay, that's a good question. Uh, Yuval, you've got the Hebrew text right in front of you, right?
0: Yes, uh, not sure I follow. So it's a singular respect, yep. honor. and then what
1: is the is the is the, the people the word you to, is,
0: is you singular or plural? This is a problem we have in English all the way through. Uh, uh with it. who lives. You're, you're, Father and mother, so blah uh, blah blah, so that you, your singular life should be longer, and you should be better singular.
1: Right. Okay. So it's actually quite personal. The whole thing is quite personal. Okay. Um, which is which is interesting, isn't it? The 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 blessing, the ironic uh, benediction, is personal, singular, and the commandments here are personal, singular. Hmm. Right. Uh, You get the idea of not murdering uh adultery stealing false false witness these are all the same commandments that we find in in uh exodus the only difference is going to be the uh the one about the sabbath um and we've all and we've discussed quite a few good reasons to why we thought that might have been changed Uh, and then of course uh uh, not uh, wanting to covet your neighbor's uh, wife Um, female servants Okay, so they or male or female servants, we seem to we acknowledge that we might have them. Uh, and then that interesting thing is and, and of course the, the donkey. Okay? Um, out of all the material that we're gonna have in a Bible that we shouldn't covet, um, make sure it's it's donkeys. Mm-hmm.
0: Well the updated version is the lamb, but <laughs> using the King
1: James. <laughs> what is it in King James?
0: Thou should not covet thy neighbor's ass. <laughs> yes,
1: that's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it makes perfect sense in Old English. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, verse 22. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire uh, and the cloud and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. I mean, he does a bit later, but... The sort of idea that, uh, you know, you get the, the idea of the 10 words. Um, and then when you read commentaries in Exodus, you know, it'll say uh, uh, Jethro heard uh, what had happened. And the rabbis will say, well, what did he hear? Well, of course, he heard the 10 commandments like everybody else. This whole idea that the whole whole world heard. But here it was, it's defined to the people um and when you heard the voice out of the darkness while the mountain was ablaze with fire uh all the leaders of your tribes and elders came to me so you get this idea that the representative shows up you know like all israel's gonna hear well um or or moses summons the whole people perhaps he couldn't uh it's 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 leaders of tribes leaders of uh the elders of the people and uh god has shown us his glory his majesty We've heard his voice. Today, we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with them. So, um, what do you think of that as a as a as a statement? A human can live if God talks to them. surely their oral stories would have told them this already has not god talked to adam has not god talked to noah he's talked to abraham i mean these are idyllic heroes these are you know very renowned men and perhaps people have begun to think that maybe god only talks to people like that now he doesn't actually talk to me I mean, I'm, I'm nobody. He'll talk to Abraham, yes. And he'll talk to Noah, sure. And he'll talk to the first man, of course he will. But not someone like me. And yet, the, the inference here is that no, God has spoken to the whole assembly. God has actually spoken to everyone, even though there's actually a little representative being spoken. So males and females, slaves and free, uh, rich and poor, young and old, you've all heard and you've all actually survived and so now we're learning something that God can actually talk to to little people God can actually just talk to normal humans and live and that I think is a very comforting thought um, uh, so but why should we die because they now there's this rhetorical question from these people this great fire will consume us and we'll all die if we hear the voice of our God any longer for what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Go near and listen to all the Lord our God has says, and then tell us whatever the Lord your God, our God tells you, we will listen and obey. So uh, you get this the idea of the intermediary again. But God speaks to his people and they don't die. And yet they end up being afraid anyway. And um, uh, I don't know about you guys, but that thought is still with us, even in the Christian world. We have this intimate God, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, and yet so many people are actually very afraid to talk to Him. So, very afraid of the idea that perhaps actually God does pay attention and look, get a little nervous, nervous about God listening.
2: <laughs> Could it be that? since he's repeating this and they realize that oh we kind of messed up here that the words they're hearing are so profound and so in-depth that they're saying we can't listen to any more we're just going to die
1: yeah yeah there actually is also a, a midrash rory where um they you know how you've always got side a side b you know it could mean this and it could mean that so one reason why did Israel say don't talk to us anymore we're gonna die because you know they're gonna die God's just gonna smite them when we hear it. The other side is and it's just a midrash is the voice of God was so beautiful and it was so ecstatic and it made people feel so good um, that they were literally going to die from ecstasy. like the idea of of being, in such joy in the presence of God that they said, we actually can't handle this. It's just too good. And uh, so please, please talk, please talk to to him on on our behalf. Um, So, yeah, you know, with with two streams is that, yep, yep, there are some beautiful words and I'm really struggling to internalize it right now, you know, that the physical God of the universe is actually communicating with me can't handle it. Can you go and talk? I'll, I'll deal with it a bit later. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and, and we, as, as I think, and as believers in God, we hold an incredible treasure in our hands, yes? You've got the Word of God. And uh, how do we treat this text? Oh, what, you know, is it, what, how do we internalize the, the, the voice that's coming out from the text? How do we even just physically hold on to the pages? Do we write on them? You know, do we take it into our bathrooms? you are not supposed to do that. You know, um, you know, uh, it's a. We also have that uh, struggle with how do I handle the voice of God. And, uh, and so we like intermediaries, right? We, you know, this sort of idea that the pastor will will tell me what's going on. Or, um, I'll go find, you know, uh, the priests to, to, to talk to God for me. Uh, yet. We
2: each need to go find our own popes to listen to, right?
1: That's right. Have you got any in North Dakota? We got, we, we run, we're running out of them down here. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, they heard, everyone heard the voice of God for themselves, which was a beautiful thought. And it was frightening. Yes. It was majestic. Yes. It was powerful. Yes.
2: You can also take it back to just very basic things. Trust and belief in that God. Yeah. If they're, if they're reacting this way, they're not listening and trusting and truly believing. These, these things are missing.
1: Right. Well, that's the thing. The the Moses has already set up in, in, in the previous chapters, he's already set up their fail in, in chapter 4. He says, you're going to go in to the land, you're going to have a successful invasion, and in your success, you'll fail. You'll forget God, which is, you know, you know, don't have any other gods. There are no other gods. Deuteronomy 4 verse 35, falls on deaf ears. As soon as we get into the land, we're going to embrace all their gods. Um, however, However, at this point, the people do say something positive. They say, listen, Moses, you go up and you talk to God for us. You come back, you tell us what He's saying. We're kind of cool with that. We will listen and we will obey. And that idea that you know, uh, shema, shomer, the, the, the words for listen and, and, and obey and guard. Um, Moses, uh, through Moses, God says, oh, The Lord heard you when you spoke to me, so, and the Lord said, So God hears that's a good thought, right. So I'm talking to Moses, and and God hears, right?
0: Too
1: polite. So on on um, on one handle, that's nice. God listens, and on the other side, that's also kind of frightening, right? God's listening to this conversation, which is a nice thought, and at the same time, (laughs) you know, you start to think, oh. God's listening to this you know? um, what are some of those prayers you know God is the silent uh, uh, guest at every table right He is the silent listener at every conversation he's he's the the silent traveler on the bus when you when you go to work so God says, I've heard what these people said and everything they said was it was good okay so God. He gives an adjective. He says, okay, I understand the people. They can't, uh, they can't abide to hear my voice. They'll take the intermediary, but they will listen and obey. It's a good thing. Um, but in verse 29, and again, everything in Deuteronomy brings it back to the heart. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. So it's not just that, yes, there is obedience, yes, there is a form of listening to the word of God and putting it into practice. Yes, I'm not gonna take away from that at all. But also, what is the spirit of the law? It's in your heart. Right? And it was all and and, and and so what Moses is doing is he's making sure that it's not just chiseled in stone, that the law is not just something that's hard. And, uh, and, it's, and it's just texts on a, on a piece of paper or something like that, that it's actually internalized. That there is the law, yes, and there's also the spirit of the law. And God says again, look, it's the, the, the spirit. I want their hearts to be inclined to me. That doesn't negate the fact that you still um, have things to do. So, go back to the tents uh, And Moses, you stay here with me so I can give you all the commandments the decrees and the laws, okay, the mitzvot, the chokkim, the torah, the mishpatim, and uh, and then you are to teach them to follow in the land that I am going to give you to the possess. So, even though you get these ten commandments, it also sets up that there's a, a heck of a lot more, okay, and um, and they need these; they need to be taught. Need to be followed so you're, you're going to constantly get references to write these laws on your heart teach them to your children make sure that you teach these commandments to the next generations um, and then be careful to do what the lord your god has commanded so on one hand yes make sure that your heart is inclined to the lord yes and on the other side make sure you physically do it and there's a the, there's, there's two parts to this don't turn aside from the right or the left Walk in obedience. All of this thinking, all of this theology, all of this thought is all in the New Testament too. And you all know it. You all can probably quote verses out the brass razu on um, on, on, on on passages in the New Testament where where we're meant to. Uh, it's about love, um, and love is the fulfilling of the law. But at the same time, there'll be those those passages in the Bible they talk about obeying the commandments. Um, about having obedience, about that being um, attributed to to you as as righteousness. Um, Here, again, the obedience and uh, the commandments are linked to um, uh, life. So the Lord your God has commanded that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land. Uh, it's, It's heavily linked to the material, the physical earth. But also remember, they've already got some of it. Moses is giving this, this talk on the east bank of the Jordan, which we already possess. Right? We've already beaten the giants. We've already taken their material. We're already living in their 60-something cities, which uh, Deuteronomy, I think, two or three had mentioned. We've already captured this material, and we've already set up Levitical cities for the... For the um, for the manslayer to run the cities of refuge. Uh, However, the the tendency is still to look to the west side, that uh, once you get into the land, then uh, large sections of the commandments can only be done inside the land of Israel, um, which we've already discussed in previous chapters. That is, most of the sacrifices can only be done in, in the land of Israel. So, which implies, if you're not in the land of Israel, what can't you do? Can't make sacrifices. Right? And so, when you get into the New Testament, in places like Acts, Paul, when he goes into uh, the Greek cities and uh, talks to Jewish communities living in, in the Greek cities, he doesn't say things like, gee, none of you can sacrifice for your sins, you're all gonna die. Because obviously they're outside the land of Israel and they never could sacrifice anyway. So uh, it that, that, that argument would, would, would not hold water. So it's not one of Paul's arguments to prove that Jesus is the Messiah when he's uh, arguing to Jewish communities outside the land of Israel. Um, however, that tends to be the argument Christians like to give Jews all the time, isn't it? What are you going to do with your sin? Don't have a temple, you can't sacrifice. You're all gonna to go to hell. It's like, well, that never seemed to bother Daniel, and it certainly didn't seem to be the argument from the Book of Acts. Okay, what they did is they argued, hey, I can tell you who, how Jesus is the Messiah from the Hebrew Bible. I can show you where the, where the heart of God. Uh, comes from, how he's always wanted to write these laws in our hearts, particularly when you get to places like Deuteronomy, how obedience uh, is going to uh, give us long life and it's good for our kids, uh, and the Messiah himself is, is, is going to obey. So all of that uh, is coming in the next couple of chapters. So any, any, any questions to, or any summarizing thoughts over our a rendition of the Ten Commandments? there is a difference. It's the Sabbath. It doesn't mean that uh, the Bible's not true. It means that Moses is doing something very smart with the children of Israel. He's uh, looking at them who have not been able to remember the Sabbath, and he's turning into something very practical, that uh, the Sabbath is now linked to your freedom. It's linked to redemption. Uh, It's going to even later on become like a mini a mini, um, a mini Passover. Uh, even to today, for those who actually read the Jewish prayers for the Sabbath, the, they will actually mention that uh, this is a, a memorial of Passover. This is a memorial of the Exodus from Egypt, um, which is very interesting because then when we come to have communion, we do essentially the same thing. We retell the, the story in it it becomes a, a memorial of, uh, of, of redemption. All right. Great.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you and blessings from the city of the king.